Welcome to No Romance Without Finance, the show for women who know that while love don't cost a thing, it also doesn't pay the bills. I am your host, Patty Asai. The intention behind this podcast is to honor my mother. Due to her lack of financial independence, she was stuck in a mentally abusive relationship and saw no way out. And in the process, she lost herself, her self-esteem, and eventually her life. After her death, I made it my mission to do everything in my power to make sure not another woman suffers like my mother did because she can't support herself financially. So whether you're dating, married, somewhere outside or in between, this show will give you tools and nuggets of knowledge that you can implement immediately, which will help you manage your money, grow your career and create a fulfilling independent life. Let's get into it and find out why there is no romance without finance. Welcome to No Romance Without Finance. Today, our guest is Dr. Lauren Cook. She's the founder of Heartship Psychological Services that serves clients residing in California, specializing in anxiety. Dr. Lauren helps individuals and couples work through generalized anxiety, phobias, social anxiety, OCD, and more. And she is passionate about bringing mental health to people of all ages and identities, particularly in the workplace. She takes a multicultural informed systems lens that looks at intersectional identities of a person in context of their environment. She specifically applies third wave tenets, CBT, ACT, and DBT. We'll explain what that is later to help teams apply mindful cognitive flexibility and values identification for intentional living. Dr. Lauren Cook, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Patty. It's great to be here with you. So excited for you to be here. I know that uh, you're about to give birth soon, right? Literally in less than 48 hours. So. Oh my gosh. And you made time for us. That's really <laughs> of course. Great. Of, Thank you for doing that. Comes otherwise. So may as well. I'm glad we can connect. Is this your first child? This is my first one, a little baby boy. Oh, how exciting. Oh my gosh, how exciting. Super excited to hear that for you. Congratulations. Really Thank excited. Thank you. Thank you so much. So since you know, since you're gonna pop it any second, <laughs> we'll get into our conversation. <laughs> So, you know, our podcast, No Romance Without Finance, is about women finding financial independence. And part of that is being able to find your place in the in the workforce, right? And to make yourself heard in the workplace and to overcome the obstacles that women typically face when we are in the workplace. Like, especially me, I work in a male-dominated industry, right? So I'm always the only woman in the room. And a lot of times, or I should say now I'm being taken seriously, but in the beginning, I wasn't taken seriously. So can you maybe talk a little bit about what are some of the obstacles that women face in the workplace? Absolutely. You know, I think the biggest thing that I see for my female clients, especially, is this imposter syndrome. And we know 70% of people Mm -hmm. experience imposter syndrome, but I see for the women that I work with, they especially get in their head. They have some really negative, harmful scripts that they tell themselves that they're not ready, they're not capable. 
they're not smart enough. And this Mm -hmm. can really inhibit how they show up in the workplace. And, you know, I see a lot of clients too struggling with their body image. So many women, we equate our worth with our appearance. We feel like our intelligence, our credentials, what we learn and know Mm -hmm. isn't enough. And we feel like we have to present ourselves physically, that attractiveness piece. We feel like that's part of our power sometimes. And that's Mm -hmm. something I really try and help my clients with as well is to know, look, your appearance is one part of who you are you have intelligence you have you have power you have worth in how you show up at work and that is something I think is really important for millennials and gen z it's in particular to remember and what are some of the things that women can do to overcome this imposter syndrome to overcome feeling like we're not good enough what are some things that we can do I am a huge behaviorist as a psychologist so am I good 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 you and I are on the same page I'm not yes. actually, you know, a huge believer in, in positive thinking. I think it's great. There's a time and place mm-hmm. all for a little bit of manifesting, but it's not enough. You have to show yourself behaviorally that you are capable because the human brain is so powerful. And unfortunately, it skews very negative. We know that about 90% in the human mind, those thoughts are negative and ruminative in nature. So if we are mm-hmm. constantly buying into what the brain is telling us, You can see how quickly we feel insecure, anxious, depressed. So we have to show ourselves behaviorally, whether it's raising our hand in a meeting and saying, I have something to say, whether it's sending a LinkedIn request and asking someone to virtual coffee, show yourself behaviorally that you are capable. And then the brain starts to buy in and say, oh, okay, maybe you can do it after all. You've given me the evidence. You've given me the proof. I think I'm going to have to start taking you seriously. Right. I say act as if, right? So I say men, when they're in the workplace, and I will probably say this today and many other podcasts, they walk around at work like they're walking into an MMA weigh-in, like their chest is out, their heads are up, right? Like they own the place. And we women are more reserved, like our shoulders are down. We're like, yeah, these shrinking violets. And it's because we don't think we're good enough. So the only way to overcome that, yeah, it's not the positive thinking is act as if, you know, chest out, head up, shoulders back, act like you own the space. And I always say, take space in the room right? Mm -hmm. Take up some space. Don't be the person in the corner. Raise your hand. You have valuable things to say. And I think these are the things that women really need to focus on when they're in the work environment. And it's uncomfortable, right? I mean, we, when, when you start doing it, it feels so weird. How do you get out of that discomfort? Mm, So true. So true. And I talk about this a lot in my book, Generation Anxiety. Anxiety is like a wave, right? Every time we feel anxious, whether it's showing up in a meeting, speaking and doing a presentation at work, that anxiety naturally is going to spike up, but it's like a wave. And every time we face a fear, that wave crashes. The problem is so many of us, when we get that anxious feeling, we avoid, we run away. So we never get that corrective experience of seeing what happens when we ride out the wave. And the really cool thing, this is why I love treating anxiety more than anything else, why it's my specialty. Mm -hmm. The more you face your fears, 
the easier it gets each time. The wave gets smaller right. and smaller and smaller. Fancy term for this is habituation. But it's this idea that the more you face your fears, the more confidence you build, the more capable mm-hmm. you see that you are, and the more resilient you become. I mean, it sounds like you've right. seen that in your career too, Patty, that it's gotten easier over time to show up in those spaces. Absolutely. I mean, it, ha- it happened with me. So the first time that I needed to call somebody out because they took my idea and ran with it was very uncomfortable, right? So I had, the story is that I had, I had suggested something. I was the only woman in the room and no one, no one said anything. Literally a minute later, a man, a guy said the same exact thing that I said, and they started cheering for him like, oh, wow, that's such a great idea. Why didn't we think of that? And I'm sitting here going, that's exactly what I said a minute ago. And you just like, yeah, you just ignored it. So I remember at that point, I was like, okay, do I let this go? Because I was feeling so uncomfortable. That would have been the easier thing to do, right? I said, or do I call it out? I'm like, you know what? If I don't call it out, I'm going to be feeling this way going forward, right? So I just said, what I said was, I said, wow, Frank or whatever, that's not his name. But I I was like, thank you for acknowledging that the suggestion I made a minute ago is a great suggestion. I said, and I really appreciate you bringing that again to the meeting. Mm. So everyone, I put everyone on notice that, hey, that was my idea. He took it. And if we're going to talk about it, you need to give me credit. And that never happened to me again. Right. So they knew like I was not the one. And I have like countless examples of how that's happened. But the first time I did it was very uncomfortable. You know, you're like, your heart starts beating, (laughs) like you start sweating. You don't know what to say. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what, Patty, this this is where you show up and this is where you get better. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if I don't face this, I'm not going to get better. So you do it despite the anxiety. You do it despite the discomfort. Right. And then after a while, it just got easier to where today I just call people that right away. (laughs) There's no anxiety. There's no heart beating. There's no none of that. Exactly. And I call this the five seconds of courage. You have that split second moment. What are you going to do? Are you going to call it out? Are you going to raise your hand? Or are you going to choose instead the five minutes or five years of regret when you think, oh, man, why didn't I speak up in that space? So we all have those pivotal moments. Five seconds of courage. What are you going to do with it? And it can be life-changing, game-changing. I've never had a client regret choosing the five seconds of courage. I love that, Dr. Lauren. That That is really great. Five seconds of courage. I, I've never heard of that. And I think that's such a great nugget for the listeners to take away because all of us have been there, right? And if you just take five seconds and just you know, be courageous, you're going to be better in the long run. And this is personal too. I always share my own story. I asked my husband out on the first date. Five seconds of courage. You did. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah. Wow. I love it. Tell us. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I actually met him on my 19th birthday. We both went to UCLA. We were at this fundraiser dance marathon. He had this like megawatt smile. And I was like, who is this guy? He is so cute. I'm going to ask him out. I love it. And 13 years later, there you go. Oh, my gosh. And and you know what? That's still so hard for women these days because we're just inculcated to believe that we're the ones that are supposed to be chased. We're not the chasers. Don't you dare chase him. He's going to be turned off. But I always say the right guy is not going to be turned off. That's right. Right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Will and look at you. Confidence. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Now I want to get into another topic that is controversial and very close to home for me. And that is the balancing of mental wellness in the workplace and working hard. Because I think that Gen Z confuses the two sometimes. It seems like the second things get a little challenging or stressful, they feel that it's not good for their mental health. Mm -hmm. So I'm just not going to do it. I'm feeling a little stress. I'm feeling a little anxiety. So my mental health is worth more than me being stressed out. So I'm just not going to do it. And because of that, they don't progress in their job and they really don't progress personally. So can you please tell us, you know, since you're an expert, what you think about that? Yeah. Oh, and I love that you're leaning into this conversation because unfortunately it has become controversial, you know, and I think part of what that is, is we've gotten into this all or nothing thinking. It's we're either all 100% mental health all the way, or like Mm -hmm. hustle culture, work yourself into oblivion. That's not where it's at. There's nuance. There's shades of gray. I'm such a big advocate of what we call the dialectic, the both and. You can both work hard at your job and still have a mentally healthy and balanced life. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And I think it's really important we lean into that. You know, one thing I see, though, especially with Gen Z and sometimes with millennials, too, and I write about this in the book, is that we really have lost our capacity to hold distress tolerance skills, which in essence is being comfortable, being uncomfortable. It's okay to be uncomfortable sometimes. And we have been socialized a little bit of, that's really bad. I can't feel discomfort in my life in any way. Mm-hmm. We actually do need a little bit of stress. Stress helps us perform better in our lives. It means we care right. about something. If we're mm-hmm. so chill all the time, we're going to kind of blase through life a little bit. When you've yes. got a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of jitters, you're going to do better at your presentation at work. You're going to do more mm-hmm. research to fully understand the project, right? All these different things. So we've got to start kind of rescripting how we see anxiety and stress. If you look at the yerkes dodson model, right? We see a little bit of stress is actually a good thing. So really right. programming our brain and learning to it's okay to be uncomfortable. The growth happens in the discomfort, right? And we don't always mm-hmm. have to seek comfort all the time. But I think that's something that unfortunately in this all or nothing culture we're in right now is something that's gotten lost in the narrative. Right. So where's the fine line? How do I know that, okay, this is just another anxiety or discomfort that I need to overcome Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, this is really not good for my mental health. How do you know the difference? It's what I call the four D's of distress. And for anybody listening, feel free to write these down. This is what differentiates stress, feeling overwhelmed sometimes, which is normal, happens to all of us, and something like a generalized anxiety disorder that tells us, okay, this is maybe crossing a line, right? Mm-hmm. So, one is if you're in a lot of distress about your experience, that's the first D. If you're looking over your shoulder and you're like, ooh, 
this is not normal for me, that I am not sleeping at all, that I am constantly obsessing about how I'm doing at work, right? Things like that. That distress key is huge. Dysfunction. If you're not able to keep up with the tasks of your job, if you're wanting to bail at work all the time, if you're getting into explicit conflicts with people all the time, if there is real clear dysfunction happening in the workplace or in your life as a result, pay attention to that. Also, third D is what we call deviation. And what that means is, is there deviation from what you're seeing as the quote norm? When you look around, are you noticing, hmm, it seems like others are able to keep up with this pace. I'm really struggling to really find my niche here. I'm having a hard Mm -hmm. time keeping up and, and really taking an honest look with yourself. That may be a little bit unpopular, right? But something I talk about on my own podcast, The Boardroom Brain, is be honest with yourself about what your talents, your skills, your gifts are. You can mm-hmm. keep barking up trees that may not be the right fit for you. Right. That may be amplifying your anxiety even more. So be honest. And the last is danger. And what that means is if you're having thoughts about harming yourself or harming someone mm-hmm. else, which is often not something people talk about so openly, but mm-hmm. pay attention to that. If you're having thoughts of, I would like to not wake up tomorrow, you know, or even more explicit than that, tune into that because that is more than stress. We're now getting into anxiety, depression, something more, and that's not something you want to ignore. So four Ds, that's what I'd say. Very informative. Okay, great. I think that that really gives people a roadmap, right? To figure out, yeah, is this something that I just need to suck it up and just keep going because Mm -hmm. this is just normal anxiety or something that is abnormal and it's not good for my mental health. So thank you so much for that. This podcast is brought to you by Citizens of Sound. They're the ones who make my podcast sound and look legit and not like I recorded it in my closet. They've held my hand every step of the way and helped me from A to Z. They are amazing. If you're even thinking about doing a podcast, they're the ones to call. Their contact is in my podcast description. Now back to the podcast. Next thing I want to get into is the difference between men and women in the workplace as far as who's the most emotional. And we get a lot, I get a lot of comments saying, well, yeah, you know, women are more more emotional and that's why they don't make good leaders, that that's why, you know, they cry at work, all all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And my comeback to that is, and I've read a lot of studies and please, you know, you're the expert here that men and women are equally as emotional, but they just show their emotions differently. So a woman may show her emotions by crying or being reserved or sad or however you you want to you know characterize it. A man on the other hand shows his emotions through anger typically. Mm-hmm. So how many times have we seen, you know, a, a guy at work get angry? They pound the desk or punching walls, you know? And I've read studies that show yes, we are equally as emotional, but we just it just comes out differently. Do you agree with that? And what is your assessment on that? Mm, That's really interesting. I do agree that the emotions get expressed differently. You know, Mm -hmm. I think the piece that we want to pay attention to, and this is something I hold hope for all humans, regardless Mm -hmm. of sex and gender, is the capacity to hold emotional intelligence. You know, the capacity to have emotional awareness. That is something that sometimes I do see differentiate a little bit in terms of that EQ piece where, 
and I, and I think we have to look back to even how little kids are are socialized, right? Women, mm-hmm. young girls are often really encouraged to explore their emotions. How do you feel about this? What do you think about this? Even tapping right. into empathy even more. How do you think mm-hmm. someone else felt about this when you acted in this way, right? So right. women have been building these skills since they're three years old. You know, mm-hmm. men, I think, haven't had, quite frankly, as many opportunities to practice that where someone actively asks them, how do you think your behavior made someone else feel? What do you think right. it made like for someone else? And so right. I think this is something that really excites me when I see that a lot of our kids today are getting way more EQ training, you know, mm-hmm. and I see that more and more with millennials and Gen Z, the men in particular, we're starting to see some more interest from them to have these conversations around mental health and emotions. But I will tell you, with a lot of the male clients that I work with, mm-hmm. they don't always see value in emotional expression. They see it that mm. side of the coin of vulnerability being a weakness rather than mm-hmm. a connector. And I think that's something a lot of women and men may tell you a little bit differently, that women's sure. emotional expression as a way to connect. We're building a, a relationship mm-hmm. here. Whereas a man might tell you, and this is all in broad strokes, of course, but a man might tell you, Ooh, if I tell you how I feel, that seems weak. That seems like, you know, I'm, right. I'm showing my cards and I actually might right. make you feel uncomfortable with my emotional expression. So sure. I think this is something we need to reprogram a bit that emotions don't need to be threatening. Essentially emotions are data, right? And what do right. we do with that data to ultimately move the needle where we want to go, whatever that may look like in the workplace. And what data do emotions give? Oh, They tell us so much. They tell us how we're feeling about our relationships with each other. They tell us, are we wanting to join, to connect? Are we wanting to pull away, right? Mm -hmm. And essentially, emotions impact behaviors. If you look at the cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT triad, right? Mm -hmm. Thoughts often impact feelings, often impact behaviors. And if we don't have a good gauge on our feelings, and if we don't know how to work through our feelings, that's when you start to see those destructive behaviors happen, right? Like when you mention a, a man punching a hole in the wall, right? Or right, a, a right. woman maybe feeling like her tearfulness is getting out of control, right? Mm-hmm. I'm all for tears. I think it's a very healthy expression, but I will say I have a lot of female clients who will start to cry and they're like, oh, it feels so out of control for me, right? And so mm-hmm. wherever that emotional expression happens, we want to make sure we have a behavioral hand on it. And this comes back once again to distress tolerance skills of knowing we can sit with uncomfortable, unpleasant emotions. Emotions last on that no more than 15 minutes if we're willing to Mm -hmm. ride out that wave as well. Sure. Problematically, so many of us were very scared by our emotions. We don't know what to do with them. And Mm -hmm. then we can find ourselves engaging in these kind of out of control behavioral reactions sometimes. So where do you land on women crying in the workplace? (laughs) Because I have a very extreme view on that. And I, I take the stance, no crying ever. I understand that's really extreme, right? (laughs) The only time I've ever cried at work was when I was a waitress and, and something had gone terribly wrong at a table and they were calling me racist, which I wasn't. I mean, it was just, yeah, this, this, this story is really long, but I remember I saw the tears or I felt the tears coming from my eyes and I ran into the broom closet uh-huh. and I closed <laughs> the door so no one could see me cry because I'm not going to be that girl. Mm. I cried it out and I came back to work. Now, there have been times where 
I've run to the bathroom and cried at work, but no one's ever seen me cry at work. And the Mm -hmm. reason that I don't do it is because I think there is still such a stigma that women are more emotional than men. Mm -hmm. So the second that they see you cry, there you go. You're the emotional girl. You're too emotional. You're not going to be able to handle bigger tasks. You're not going to be able to be a great manager, all of the above. So Mm -hmm. where do you land on that? Mm. It's so nuanced, I would say, you know, there's a lot of factors here at play. I tend to land on the side of if you can go to a place that's more private and secure, mm-hmm. that, that can be more helpful, you know, because okay. the thing that's hard is you can't control someone's reaction to your tears. Now, do I think it's right. great to stigmatize crying and showing emotion? Yes, absolutely. But we mm-hmm. also live in a real world where not everybody may see sure. crying an emotional expression as a healthy thing. Sure. Even though we know when we cry, it is actually so healing for us physiologically. Mm-hmm. Like all the chemicals yes. that are released, so absolutely. good for us. Absolutely. We, we can't control. Now, interestingly, I just read a study on this that you know most people are scared to share with their employer about their mental health. But 90% Mm -hmm. of the time, bosses did, in fact, respond positively to disclosures about mental health. So I think that's something we need to start shifting, this idea that my Mm -hmm. boss is not going to be supportive. I think overall, people do want to be there for each other. But, you know, we also have to make sure that we are getting our needs supported in other places, right? Making sure sure we have friends, family we can talk to. And I always think that's a better idea anyway to get feedback on a situation because Mm -hmm. your coworkers are a little bit too close to home in a situation. They're going to have an obvious bias, but people outside of that world can give you some genuine feedback hey, is my reaction to this appropriate in line or am I having a bigger or maybe smaller reaction to this than I should be? Sure. In in answer to your question, it's nuanced. (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. you have to know who's on the receiving end of those tiers, but ultimately you need to make sure you have a safe and and private space, I would say, to do that. It's hard though. Not everybody has as much control over their tiers, quite (laughs) frankly. Yes, I, I I agree with you. Okay, thank you for that. So your book, Generation Anxiety, is coming out this September, right? Yeah. And yeah, so I want to talk about that a little bit. How can anxiety get in the way of progress? Because I feel like this generation, I think we touched on this a little bit, just doesn't have a lot of coping skills. Mm -hmm. That's why everyone's so offended all the time. It's like, oh my gosh, the second that I'm offended, then, you know, the the world is going to explode. So can you just kind of get into that and tell us a little bit about what your book is addressing? Yeah. The thing is, we have to get okay with being anxious. We have to get okay with feeling uncomfortable. Like I was just saying earlier, Mm -hmm. we have really fallen for this myth that any uncomfortable feeling needs to be gone away. I should only be feeling happy. I should only be feeling good. And we really get freaked out if we're not feeling that way all the time, which is inevitable. So my book is a very honest, you know, no nonsense approach of look, sometimes you are going to feel anxious in your life. And that is okay. The point is you still show up for your life. You still take chances. You still take risks. You live a values-based life even with the anxiety there. And I write about that, you know, with my own lived experience, you know, I so much have fallen for this myth, this belief as an ambitious woman myself, I can't have a baby and have a career. Mm -hmm. You know, if Mm -hmm. I have a kid, my career is going to fall apart. 
And right. here I am having a book and a baby like within months <laughs> of each other. Interesting yes. timing. But, you know, I keep coming back to this idea. Look, there's never going to be a perfect time to do anything in your life, whether it's taking a promotion, getting married, starting a family, moving across the country for your job. Mm-hmm. Does it align with your values? And if it does at the end of the day, take it with the anxiety. And the anxiety, right. interestingly enough, will often abate the more that you're actively facing those fears. But problematically for millennials and Gen Z, they let anxiety call the shots. They let anxiety dictate. And so they keep themselves small. They hold themselves back. They say, right. I'm not ready to have that negotiation conversation. It's going to be mm-hmm. too uncomfortable or yes. I'm not ready. I need six more months before I'm ready to start dating. And to right. that, I say, screw it. We're never fully ready. You got to go and you do it anyway. You know? Yes, exactly. And you were touching on motherhood. I really think that women are just incredible, incredible species because we can, we really have to do it all. Right. And so many mothers are hindered at work when they get pregnant Mm -hmm. to this day, to this day, I hear, I want to know if this person is going to have a child or is going to get pregnant soon and going on maternity leave for three months or four months, because that is going to affect their productivity at work. I'm going to have to replace this person. And you know what? I hate to say, but those are valid concerns of any employer, right? I mean, those are just facts that we we can't overcome that. Yes, a woman going on maternity leave is going to affect the workplace, right? Absolutely. So what is your counter argument to that as to, you know, why that shouldn't be an issue and how can we overcome that? Well, I think we just need to get more creative about the solutions that we have in place. You know, that's the thing. We can get into very rigid patterns of thinking of this is the way we've always done it. This is how it should be. And ultimately, it just requires a more creative, flexible response. You know, the antithesis of anxiety is flexibility right? It's being willing to sit with a lack of control, a lack of unpredictability. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if we're willing to implement other solutions, other alternatives, I think we're going to find that on all sides of the coin, employers and women who are going out and having babies, everybody is more comfortable to lean in because we can have more honest conversations about this and we can figure it out more openly. But I totally agree with you. I think this is something that we have kind of strayed away from leaning into honest Mm -hmm. conversations Mm -hmm. about. And and I think it's led to some problems with a lot of women wanting to hold themselves back sometimes or being hesitant to be more transparent and open with their own family planning. And, And I think this is something that I hope that we start to see some more shifts with. Sure. And I think where the double standard lies is that many men want women to lean into being a mother. That is the greatest thing that you can do. That is the biggest accomplishment. Why don't you want to lean into being a mother more? Okay, Mm -hmm. I'm going to lean into being a mother since that's the greatest accomplishment. Then you shouldn't cry if I'm on maternity leave for three months, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, And I think we need to make it even more equitable, you know, with with male partners as well, you know, mm-hmm. watching my husband, he's an attorney, you know, watching his own experience, getting ready to go on paternity leave. It's been very refreshing to see like, he actually is getting a longer paternity leave than I am. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's amazing. Nice. 
see that shift, but I think this is generational as well, you know, because we've Mm -hmm. had older family members say to him, like, well, you're not actually going to take that time off, are you? And he's like, yes, I am. Like, this is really special bonding time with my child. My workplace Mm -hmm. is acknowledging this. Why would I not respect and honor that time, especially if it's we're making such a stride that that time is being honored? So I, I think we've got to see this as an equitable process, not just for women, but for men who are partners oftentimes in the process too. Exactly, exactly. Dr. Lauren, thank you so much. This was so informative. I loved having you on. Tell the listeners where they can find you and what you have going on. Absolutely. Well, you and I both are on TikTok all the time, aren't we? Yes. (laughs) I met Dr. Lauren Cook on TikTok and Instagram. Folks can get my book, Generation Anxiety, wherever they like to to buy their books. And if you go on my website, drlaurencook.com, put in your pre-order receipt, you can go ahead and get my anxiety-proof decision-making guide that's going to be such a helpful resource for folks. So stay tuned for all of that. And uh, for therapy clients, I'm here in California and I do career coaching with clients internationally. So would love to connect with anybody listening. Fantastic. I know I'm going to read your book because to be honest, I suffer from anxiety and I have my entire life. And I think it will be very helpful to me and many other people out there. So go out there and get her book. She is amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'd love to have you on again. So hopefully we'll have you on soon. Would love it. Thank you, Patty. Thank you. (laughs) 